This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs, introducing the new Firehouse Pub Steak Sub with savory steak, crispy fried onions, and our rich Belgian beer cheese sauce. On tap for a limited time. Order yours at firehousesubs.com today. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2018 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.13% of every purchase. Yeah. Hey, everybody. We are back. It's Liquid Lunch. We are downtown in Toronto, 600 Bay Street. I am filling in for the unflappable Hugh Riley, who <laughs> is filling in for Chris Telford, our tech manager. And I'm really happy to introduce everybody to Timothy Spearman. He has been doing a lot of really interesting stuff with film and other things. Um, So, Tim, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, probably, you know, I've been at it for about 30 years, um, writing, you know, and I'm a multidisciplinary teacher, taught lots of different things over the years. So I try to find what's really going on, I guess you could say, what the truth of things actually is. So Mm -hmm. I've done a lot in that area. And we used to have a show here called Shaking a Spear, um, Mm -hmm. which was taken from the story related to Shakespeare and where he comes from. Um, Pallas Athena, the spear shaker, as she was known, was the goddess of Greek drama. And so she always shook her spear at the twin serpents of ignorance and vice. Nice. So it was thought that through drama and the um, art of theater, uh, people would become enlightened. And by uh, teaching them and instructing them through theater, they would chase away the serpent of ignorance and the serpent of vice. So William Shakespeare, uh, this was a... I guess you could say a pen name uh, that was employed by the Earl of Oxford and the team of good pens. It wasn't a one-man effort. Mm -hmm. It was a a group of um, very bright people, uh, the Tudor princes leading the whole effort. Mm -hmm. Um, Queen Elizabeth, unbeknownst to many, had uh, illegitimate children. Yeah. And so that became a state secret. And um, even though they wished to um, have their uh, princehood announced to the world, she and uh, William Cecil, her advisor, um, Lord Burley, he would not uh, permit it. She would not permit it. So it remained a state secret, and it's been a state secret ever since. But Mm -hmm. Francis Bacon and Edward de Vere, the Earl of Oxford, were half-brothers. Mm-hmm. And their mother was Queen Elizabeth I. Amazing. Hmm. I think um, I think that is that is a great uh, secret plan, and that the secret plan uh, that is that writing and the arts, mm-hmm. that music, and that theater uh, are excellent ways to teach the people things that they would not otherwise be able to take in. Uh, on subjects they wouldn't otherwise be able to take uh, them in. Yeah. So um, that is that's part of what you do, and I think that is amazing 
the sword of truth is uh, a difficult one to hold. And we were talking in an earlier interview about how uh, the media uh, paints a certain picture, mm-hmm. and that's the one that we accept. Mm-hmm. And then it's, then it's people like you that have to go back mm-hmm. and look at things. So do you want to tell us, Tim, about one of the projects that you're working on right now? Sure. Uh, right now, uh, we're concentrating on a, a book um, called Goodbye, Ruby Akhtar. And she was a victim of child trafficking. It's a hard uh, story to accept uh, because of the horrors of her experiences and uh, the fact that we don't like to think about what could happen to a child of 12. She was from Pakistan. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, she was Jewish, Mm -hmm. a Pakistani Jewish person uh, raised in a Jewish family. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand that they had um, converted at some point as a family, and they um, had to hide their Jewish uh, leanings by pretending to be Catholic. And she went to a Catholic school. and then uh, her father met this individual from Northern Ireland who uh, pretended that he had her interests in mind and that he was celibate, that he had no interest in sexuality. He claimed that he wanted to take her under his uh, wing because he wanted a bride but didn't, uh, wasn't able to obtain one in his own country because of his inability to, you know, have um, sexual relations and that he thought that this would be ideal and it was all just a pretext so that he could uh, manage to kidnap a child and uh, become um, a predator. Um, uh, He was a pedophile. He was in his 30s at the time Mm -hmm. and... uh, the family naively, um, well, from the father's standpoint at least, mm-hmm. bought into this in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And um, You know what's know interesting is I, I think that men, mm. and this is going to sound uh, a little bit off, but maybe, mm. um, is that I, I think that uh, men have very little control mm-hmm. of their lives in fact, uh-huh. even though it appears as though they do. Mm-hmm. And that one of the things that, unfortunately, this society has offered men is control of women, hmm. control of their daughters, control of their wives. Hmm. And uh, that's, I think this uh, extends into, into, the, into a kind of psychotic, more of a psychotic state uh, of control and power. And um, it becomes very uh, twisted up, I think, hmm. when you take power away from someone. <laughs> Uh, the ways that they will manifest um, uh, unsavory forms of it sure. begin there. Uh, it's a very uh, we're we're all in a very sad state of affairs. I think all of humanity, in the sense of our uh, our true power uh, being taken from us, and us uh, we're out there looking for it, and we're finding it in the in the most oppressive of ways Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would agree and I I don't see um, any particular group or category of people as being particular victims 
I think that Hegel is right. There is a master-slave dialectic historically uh, that's visible and you can see it manifest in every generation. Uh, some group seems to be the victim and then the category changes and they become the perpetrator yeah. of the oppression, yeah, the, the oppressor. And then so this is an ongoing problem and where do we resolve it and how? Um, we have to liberate ourselves from this master-slave dialectic and I think Nietzsche was misread. I think he was trying to find that solution, that liberation through mm -hmm. his teachings, through his writings. Interesting. I think that's what his aim was. He would have been uh, very upset to see how his work and his teachings had been hijacked and had led to Nazi Germany. Um, I think his intention was quite otherwise. Yeah. 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 Well, um, when you... The problem is, is that when you deconstruct something... You know, as you're saying, what's the solution to that? So we can deconstruct these power structures mm -hmm. and we can see where it's false power. Mm -hmm. But we have to go really far back in our history mm -hmm. to be reminded of our human values and our real power, which is sharing, giving, and um, uh, actually being a source of service. Yes. But see, with everything attached to money... Uh, service becomes very low in our society as, as uh, empowering because you're, because money's not attached to it, but that's actually our source of power. Mm -hmm. So I think once we uh, start serving uh, each other mm -hmm. and uh, a real uh, in a real way, mm -hmm. our problems will begin to dissolve. Well, that's a nice thought. I agree. And uh, it's nice that you've uh, explained that because I think a lot of people need to hear it. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So tell me more about this because uh, the, 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 the whole master-slave scenario, you know, it seems like it's a, just like a kind of a conceptual, philosophical um, kind of overlay onto everything, and that's all very nice. But we have, we really do have human trafficking uh, we have a problem here in the Great Lakes area. We have boats going back and forth over um, the border with uh, a majority of indigenous women. Mm -hmm. These are the reports that we're getting. Mm -hmm. So this is a really, it's a real thing. It's not just something happening in Pakistan or, or elsewhere. So how does this story pan out? Tell me a little bit more about this, the, uh, the story um, Goodbye, yeah. Ruby. Ruby Actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, just one little quick segue. I wrote a book called Butterfly Dreams about precisely what you're talking about, which is the trafficking and abuse of Native children here in Canada under the residential school system. And though it was a fictional work and it had a crime thriller type of storytelling. Um, aspect to it. It was an attempt to let people know that satanic ritual abuse takes place and often at an institutional level and people need to be more informed about our own history here in Canada and realize that a lot of children have been abused in this way 
not least the residential school system, which was supposed to have closed down in 1960, but if the truth be known, carried on after that. And uh, the abuse continues to this day, and the same targeted individuals are victimized right up to the present. Mm -hmm. As for Ruby, I would say that it does have a happy ending. She's a heroic individual. Um, if she's not the reincarnation of a great figure of uh, history, um, that is um, Tia Tefi, uh, the queen, uh, an Israelite queen that ended up going to Ireland, mm -hmm. then let's just say that somehow <laughs> she's yes. fulfilling that role of being a great uh, Irish uh, folk hero um, that's going to be instrumental in improving the state of affairs in Ireland and in Europe as a whole. Um, wow. She's extraordinary. Wow. I would say an avatar or a Nacheria, some kind of gifted individual that was born for the purpose. Um, of teaching us yeah. to get past this all of these power these playing with power and control and power over it's a it's a kind of an illness that we have it's like it's a consumptive illness and um, I feel as though we're just going to become so sick of this uh, uh, way of getting of gaining power and experimenting almost with what it is that we can do mm -hmm. and we have we have experimented with all of the darkest aspects of our power. Beautifully said. And I've been thinking about this just recently, so you've taken the words out of my mouth. Brilliant. Well said. Well, I, I'm, happy that, uh, I'm happy that we're able to bring this to the people, um, this conversation, because none of us are separate from this. We're all working out the darker aspects. It's power. It's all we have. And um, so when we start to move into the lighter aspects of that, we will have learned those lessons forever. Mm -hmm. And that will be gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so this is all we can... Mm -hmm. All we can say about all of these, uh, all of these darker things that are happening. So tell me more about this woman. What is she doing right now? Um, right now, she's meeting with the European Parliament to discuss her case and to make them more aware of the problem of child trafficking, which is rife in Britain. Uh, there's a tremendous number of African children that are being brought into Britain and from other locations in the developing world. And unfortunately, some of them have been found to have uh, been victimized in voodoo ceremonies in the UK and other such horrors. And there are these pedophile networks operating within the UK, and they seem to have a satanic element. Um, not to suggest that all of them may have that connection, but I would certainly say that I've found evidence to show that some of them do. Yeah. Many of them. Well, you know, again, you know, we're going to have to, there's a really important word called it's courage. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. We really have to figure out how to, to, to have our own courage because it's our own lack of courage that makes us revere those that, that we fear. Mm -hmm. And so wh while we continue to, to actually revere that which, which makes us feel fear, mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. This is not going to stop. That's a very good point. Um, for example, we refer to Mengele, Joseph Mengele, as Dr. Mengele. Doctor means teacher. So we have to reform our way of thinking and expressing ourselves. He's not a doctor. If that is a teaching for humanity, then it's precisely the wrong message to send. And so why can we even think of calling him a doctor? He's not a doctor. He's a fraud. And whatever credentials he managed to acquire were acquired. And um, what did he do with them but commit crime? Yeah, and and express the a childlike uh, explosion of temper tantrums. I mean that what what strikes me about most of the negative, horrifying behavior that we see is my uh, background is early childhood education, and I go back and I say there's a whole bunch of two year olds that are locked into that um, the the power of throwing something and feeling that we're we're somehow caught and so of course that brings us back to the fact that every, that hurt people hurt people and everybody everybody was abused and what they're lacking is love as a power as a strategy as a as anything that completely disconnected from that i mean i i can extend my compassion only in this way that person has not actually experienced love Otherwise, it would pretty much be impossible for them to carry on without compassion. Love and compassion go together. So I don't know how we teach love exactly, um, but it doesn't even sound like that uh, awesome of a thing to to begin to do. But uh, it is an awesome power. It's it's what makes everything tick around here. Mm -hmm. So um, when... The leaders um, cue into that, and suddenly they wake up one morning and they go, wait a minute, what if I was loved and honored instead of feared and respected or feared and revered? Hmm. When they wake up and they, and they realize that that is, that is a power, but how can they if they haven't experienced it? And there's your double bind. Who's going to show love to the Nazi, who's going to show love to the pedophile? Who's nobody? Right. Nobody. Nobody's going to teach them that. That would. That's next to impossible. But it's going to have to be possible, mm-hmm. or we're not getting out of here. Well said. Um, yeah, we've had Sandy Davis in here to the studio, and I'm hoping that she will become more influential because the solutions you're recommending are those that she uh, herself recommends. Um, so I, I'm hoping that she will have a wider audience and um, be able to impart that kind of message. I'm glad you're here because uh, it's an important message, what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here to inspire us here at That Channel. This is an amazing uh, interview. We have been... Um, We've talked with uh, Pulitzer uh, Prize nominee uh, Bobby Brown, who's written an amazing book on peace. We had a lovely man in here, Chris Hercules, and he shared a poem uh, on the subject of peace. So maybe we're a little bit closer to um, this uh, huge shift that everybody wants than we think. 
I think so. I uh, feel that we are, and I can see improvements day by day. Um, there's a spiritual shift. Um, people are moving away from um, this appetite for money. Um, they seem to have exhausted their uh, greed uh, drive, and they want something more nurturing. This principle of love that you're talking about is something that I think people are yearning for. Um, we're moving away from a culture of lust and um, the um, uh, what we see in the modeling industry and the entertainment industry of the exploitation of the human body. I think people have growing tired of it they just want something different I mean even if you go back to Die Hard uh, with Bruce Willis and you saw that he would um, maybe be hit on by some uh, flight uh, um, um, agent at the airport and then he'd show his ring um, and then other roles that he took on where you never saw him getting into bed with anyone this was an attempt to create a culture that was based on something other than let it end in the sack, let it end with sex. It was an attempt to create a hero that wasn't into any of that. So I think it worked. And that was part of the success of his career and why he's still a much beloved figure of Hollywood today. Because mm -hmm. people saw in him something refreshing, something mm -hmm. new, someone who was emphasizing values other than lust and sex and that kind of thing. And he was, I think, his own man. And I think he chose those roles specifically because of what they offered him as an actor and as a person. And mm -hmm. So by far, uh, well, let's just say he w was not a shallow uh, individual that was just an um, action hero. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I'm, I hope that we are going to move into wanting to have real satisfaction and, and um, eternal bonds. And there's a, whole, there's a whole bunch of things that we're, we don't even consider. Um, because we're so uh, attached to instant gratification right now and my life. So um, who knows what will happen, but we can only get better. We can only progress. And when all these horrible things are going on, like I said, the only way really that we can reconcile it is to... Is to it's kind of like I'm 54, and there's certain things that I have done in my life and I've just simply run out of the time, the energy, the everything. It's just not there. And there's certain healing things, you know. And I think that's like humanity. We're, we're going to grow out of playing with power and abusing power and find out what, where the real power is. But it's going to take courageous people like Ruby and others. Well, it's been a, a hard road for me. Um, I've been a teacher for most of my career, and I've found that the uh, career that I have derived my livelihood from has become narrowed uh, as a path so that I'm surrounded by brambles and thorns, and the path just keeps getting narrower and narrower, and the options available to me less and less. And why? Because I'm campaigning for truth, 
This leads to me being misrepresented, maligned, slandered, defamation of character is rife. Has it damaged my career and reputation? Yes, surely it has. Did I do any of the things they accused me of? No. But they have to do that. You, yeah. This is how you know you're on the right track. You're not making any way. You're not doing anything until they start trying to pull you down. Mm-hmm. That's how you know you're going somewhere when people start yanking on your legs. True. Although I'm sure that does not make any of what you've been through any better. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, It's been painful indeed, and I really have um, good intentions, and I'm trying to, you know, make for a better world like a lot of us are, and I try to get the message out. um, And so all of my work is based on sharing the truth, um, as much as I'm able to and trying to get to the real crux of the matter and the bottom of things um, you know I've even written a screenplay about what really happened on the Titanic the ship wow. that went down wow. um, so that was based on my friend John Hamer's book RMS Olympic and my own research and we found... Uh, Weren't there a bunch of doctors or scientists yeah. or something like that on that boat? What, what was, in fact, an issue as far as who was on board was you want to consider the fact that one year later in 1913, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States was inaugurated. And Lord John Astor, Benjamin Guggenheim, and Isidore Strauss were prominent uh, banker people, and they were on board the tight. Well, the ship, the ship they were on board was in fact the RMS Olympic. They had swapped the ships. Um, it's a complicated story, but let's just say the White Star Shipping Line was owned by the Jesuit Order of the Catholic Church. Interesting. The captain, who was the commodore of the fleet, Captain Smith had been involved in so many seagoing disasters that he should have had his mariner's license revoked. Mm. In many of these accidents, people had been killed at sea. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the corrupt uh, Jesuit order, mm-hmm. uh, you'll have to forgive me, but I find it deeply corrupt, uh, were actually murdering people at sea, and this is a great place to commit a homicide because there are no witnesses. Yeah, and very difficult to recover bodies. Right. Now, I find all of this really interesting, and I have a question for you. Do you offer your services as speaker? Do you do speaking engagements? Uh, I would uh, say that I would love to do that. I am... Good. How do people get in touch with you if they want you mm-hmm. to speak on some of these topics that you have researched that are amazing? Because mm-hmm. the whole Titanic thing sounds like a whole another nine one one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Could be huge. Yeah. Well, uh, they can reach me uh, by contacting me, I guess, by email. Apollo Spear, um, the God Apollo Spear, at yahoo.com. And that's A-P-O-L-L-O-S-P-E-A-R at hotmail.com. At Yahoo. Yahoo. I knew that. At Yahoo.com. Yes. Wow, that was interesting little memory lapse in one second. <laughs> so Apollo Spirit Yahoo.com. Yeah. And then people can 
have you come and educate them and open their minds up and they might learn a little bit something uh, about um, well about history for one thing yeah um, my background is philosophy I, I got a PhD in philosophy back in 1999 it was um, a failed thesis that was later reevaluated by a professor emeritus at McMaster University and he was in the medical ethics department and in the philosophy department and he was um, a remarkable professor and I sent him the thesis and he s said well it's a groundbreaking work and it uh, would recommend a school of thought I expect to see Watsonians debating about this in the future. That was that's my real name, you see, Watson. And so Timothy Spearman is my pen name. I see. So uh, he then recommended it for publication, and it was published. After that, and what is the what is the topic of this failed thesis? Well, it was eventually reevaluated and given a PhD by the Intercultural Open University of Amsterdam. It's called the Ethics of Timelessness. It's the on Ethics of Timelessness. Yeah. Okay. It's on a scale uh, in terms of comparison with Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit. It's exactly that scale of philosophical um, and historical conceptualization. So. So you've got a very, very big brain in there, don't you? Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm just uh, an ordinary guy who just became passionate about different subjects. And because I'm passionate, I explored them. And I have an abiding passion. And I, I get very excited about things. And I'm not, uh, I don't think, a particularly gifted person with the IQ. I just, I think passion is much more important than intellect. Because it's that which gives you the impetus to help people, to have compassion, to have empathy, to have a drive to make the world a better place. And I just don't think that a left-brained approach to that is really where it's at. You have to have human emotion and feelings. You have to have imagination. You have to have intuition. You have to connect with people. You have to communicate with people. And uh, I just don't think the left brain does that. Uh, sorry, but Noam Chomsky great though he may be in terms of prolific, I do not find him engaging. He does not interest me, nor does his work, because he's not engaging me. Yeah, passion gets the job done. Intellect's mm. a little lazy. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. That's what I would say. Maybe. Maybe. So some, some people might think that we're the lazy ones, but I, I don't know. It's just a difference of approach, right? Well, you know, I think sometimes I wonder about whether or not that the greatest people and the greatest leaders are, are just people that really have a lot of time on their hands. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of time on their hands. Um, and I'm really, I'm really glad that you had some time on your hands to, to talk with us yeah, uh, today great. on that channel. Is there anything else you want to talk with us about, Rob? Is there anything? Uh, just Is there some way people can support your work? Um, besides hiring you to speak. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to just share information with people. Um, thank you for that offer. Um, I hope people take me up on it. Um, other than that, just, you know, look up my Amazon books. Um, they're online. Some of them are being a re... Uh, 
um, worked. Um, so they're offline at the moment, but uh, you can see some that are available. And I'm, I'm supposed to be releasing more books uh, soon. Um, um, so more will become available and a promotional. You were saying something around Christmas time, is that? Something like this, yeah. Um, hoping for a Christmas release uh, and maybe on into the spring with more books um, and screenplays that we'll eventually uh, hope hope to see Star production. Star and at least one of them. Ah, yeah. Well, All right, that sounds perfect. So if you want to hear mm-hmm. more and you want to read... Um, Timothy Spearman's works, you just need to go to Amazon and plug in Timothy Spearman. Yeah, I was going to read some some excerpts from the book, um, but, you know... That sounds lovely. I Please mean, do. maybe a couple just to Please give people do. a taste. Yes. Um, okay, so... Unspoken language is more meaningful and profound, more natural as well. It is, after all, the language of Mother Earth, the so-called natural world. While she keeps silence on a verbal level, she speaks volumes through overcast skies, sun showers, rainbows, double rainbows, billowing cumulus clouds, bracing winds, pounding hail, thunderbolts, solar and lunar eclipses, tides, tsunamis, supermoons, harvest moons, sunrises and sunsets, the shadows that lengthen as the day progresses, spring showers, radiant mayflowers, summer winds, balmy evening breezes, vibrant autumn colors and winter storms. These are the mother's secret signs, the unspoken and unwritten language. Even if it is written, it gets washed away by the wind and rain, though there are some patterns of erosion that have allowed for some permanent written text to be engraved in stone like the so-called Ten Commandments. And these, some believe, were written by the hand of God, who says the mother speaks in a tacit universal language that cannot be understood. She makes herself explicitly in a Abundantly clear through unspoken signs and wonders. Mm. Nice. So she does indeed. Yes. So, um, you know, I just thought I'd give people a little taste, a little, because uh, I try to, you know, put um, information into my books, um, but I also want to make the language inspiring and... Uh, because the poetry is the feeling, is the emotion and the images. That's what stays with people. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you so, so much. So, yeah, thank you, Timothy, and I hope we have you back again. That was another amazing episode of Liquid Lunch. That channel, it is your information station. If there's something you want to know about, it is probably in the That Channel archives. You just have to go to our YouTube station, thatchannel.com. And uh, I'm going to say have a great day, have a great summer, and we will see you again on the Liquid Lunch Show with Hugh Riley next time. Have a great afternoon. That was great.
Sally Beauty's new all-in-one hair color kits make it easy to color your hair at home. Get everything you need to color for beautifully radiant results. Loved by professionals, open to everyone. Sally Beauty.